The following Tom Read Your Story episode is an instant replay from February 2021. Coming to you almost live from our studios in New York, this is Tom Reads Your Story. Join voice actor Tom Zania as he reads from articles, social media, past audiobooks, and other spoken word projects. And now, here's your host, voice actor and podcaster, Tom Zania. And thank you, Mr. Announcer, for that wonderful introduction, as always. I'm Tom Zania. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. Today, another great story by a great author, Steve Vernon. And I'll be right back after this. Archie Johnson thought he was prepared to meet his death in the electric chair. The sentence had been read. He had had his last meal and the prison chaplain had asked God to have mercy on his soul. Then, just as they were strapping him into the chair, he suddenly realized there were a few things he wanted to do before he left this earth. This is Archie's story. Join two masters of the old-fashioned short story, with writing by John Isaac Jones and narration by Tom Zania. Going Home by John Isaac Jones. Listen to this great book from Audible.com. Hi, I'm Tom Zania. Thanks for joining me for the spoken word podcast, Tom Reads Your Story. I'm just taking a short break to tell you about the professional voiceover services I have to offer. If you are looking for someone to voice your audiobooks, YouTube videos, commercial or IVR projects, I hope you'll take a few minutes after the podcast to check out my website for more information. Just visit www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. I can answer any questions you may have. And now, back to the podcast. And we are back. Thanks so much for joining me today. Today, we are going to do, we're going to play the story of three homeless guys who are all friends, who go fishing down by the docks in Halifax. And, well, it just, it doesn't turn out like the normal fishing day that these guys normally have. And this is written, of course, like I said, by the terrific Canadian writer, Steve Vernon, who puts out some of the most terrific sci-fi books, sci-fi in his own way, which is so beautiful. I'm narrating a sci-fi book right now, and it's it's kind of familiar. And I, I hate to say bad things about a project I'm currently working on, but it's it's a bit familiar and it's it's not definitely not a Steve Vernon type of book, but that's all I'm gonna say about that. Um the uh the thing is this is a great Steve Vernon short story, and I think you're gonna love it. I don't believe I played any excerpt of it before. 
Uh, so I think I should be able to fit the entire story in, which I don't normally do. But this time, I'm making an exception. It's a great story. It's He can write the familiar and the unfamiliar. And to me, this is the unfamiliar. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Harry's Mermaid by Steve Vernon. Harry's Mermaid. It happened in early September, the time of year when the city does its damnedest to remember what heat was. Just one more time before winter rocks on in. Most days you could find Harry Moore hanging down by the Halifax Harbor towards the far end where the tourists don't usually go. Harry liked it down there. He liked to listen to the wind and the water. He claimed it was washing away his sins bit by bit in a sort of a slow and gentle soul erosion. Harry and I were sitting and watching old Jarvis haul it, trying to catch a fish. Old Jarvis hailed from Cape Breton. He came to Halifax as a teenager, hoping to make some sort of fortune. He hit the skids by the time he was twenty, and he hasn't looked back since. No fish in that there river, Harry said to Jarvis. Nothing I'd eat anyway, I added. Who am I? My name, when I give it, is Easter Noon. My mama named me Easter because I was born on Christmas morning. Mama always loved a cut to the chase. I'm down here by the harbor because it's as good a place as any. You can feel the ocean air wafting up from the bay up through the stink of sewage and river bottom. A blast of amnesia cheaper than any poured grape I know of. Jarvis grinned and recast his line. He fished like that all day and sometimes all night. We never saw him catch anything except that damn Arabian bottle he reeled in once. We had the devil of a time corking that back up. Other than that, nothing, but Jarvis didn't care. No, sir. With Jarvis, fishing didn't have anything to do with catching. It was just Jarvis's way of passing through life as gently as possible. There's things out there yet, Jarvis said. I've just got to get out a little deeper is all. You ought to get a boat, Harry suggested. I might just do that, Jarvis answered. One of these days, I just might. Then he reeled in his line and cast again. Harry and I grinned. We both were certain old Jarvis would be sitting here fishing until several strokes past the last booming stroke of doomsday. We really shouldn't have grinned that hard. Odds were we'd be sitting there with him. Come the time the Lord rang his supper bell. Things have a way of settling to the bottom if you don't keep stirring, and I haven't been stirred in a good long time. I hear you grinning back there, Jarvis called over his shoulder. But I tell you, there's something out there. I just gotta cast a little farther. Just gotta get the line in around mid-channel, out to where the current runs the deepest, and I'll drag in something for sure. I chuckled to myself. The harbor was a long way across from where we sat. The only way old Jarvis would get a line out to mid-channel was if he borrowed a rocket launcher from the Navy. Are you going to catch something big like the Loch Ness Monster? Harry asked. Nessie? Jarvis said with a snort. Hell, she's just a baby. I dragged her in just last week and I threw her back. How do you like a bite of them apples, eh? Thirty-eight cubic tons of plesiosaurs, and I threw her back. No regrets. No regrets, I said with a quick grin. That could have fed us for a month. 
Have you ever tasted deep-fried plesiosaurus? Jarvis asked. I shook my head. Believe me, he said knowingly. There's no regrets. Harry looked thoughtful at that, like he was listening right here, but thinking in some other dimension. No regrets, he said in a voice soaked full of them. No goddamn regrets. He looked over to me. Do you ever regret anything, Easter? He caught me off guard, so I lied. Hell no, I said. What the hell would I regret anyway? Maybe a bottle or two emptied too fast. That's all a man ever really regrets. Life, women, money. It all just empties way too fast. Harry grinned one of those hollowed-out grins that salesmen give you when they think you're getting ready to buy something. Being the fine financial success story I am, I don't get that grin very often. So I noticed it right off. Then Harry stood up. Give me that rod, he said. Let me show you how to cast deep. Jarvis handed over the fishing rod with the reluctance of a fellow handing over his wife. Just one time, mind you. Just one time, and then you got to give it back. One time's all I need, Harry said. Just sit back and watch. Harry tilted the rod way back. He paused for just a moment, like he was gathering his strength. There was a strange kind of fire burning in the back of his eyes like he'd waited all his life for just this cast. Remember this, Harry said, right before casting, only the way he spoke it was more like he meant, Remember me. He gave a heave and the line snaked over the harbor, arcing out like the world's thinnest rainbow sailing past the seagulls. The tugboats and the fishing trawlers, sailing out past all reason, like old Harry was trying to hook down the sun. And then it landed. Splash. Mid-channel. Nearly a half mile out. And then something took a hold of the hook. Harry was a hard man to forget. He was a big man, built like a wall with legs. Even his face was big like a block of dusty concrete. He stayed big right up to the very end. Most fellows hooked by the bottle, they lean down and wear out real fast with too many liquid calories. Not Harry. Harry was a regular rock of Gibraltar. Harry had been a bricklayer, same as his daddy and his granddaddy before that. It was funny how family ties can work. No matter how far Harry walked, he stood in his daddy's shadow twice shadowed by his granddad's before. I wondered how many shadows a man could stand in. Things were happy once for Harry. He had a home and a wife and three kids, a boy and two girls. He had it all until the day he was laying brick on a schoolhouse wall, and this layer of bricks kicked over and come down on the head of the apprentice he was working with. It would have been okay if it hadn't been such a hot day the apprentice took his hard hat off to mop the sweat. It would have been okay if the apprentice hadn't happened to be Harry's only son. All of that brick coming down. It squashed the boy's skull like one of those jellyfish you stomp on the beach. The papers called it an accident. But Harry never did figure out how he could ever forgive himself. Some cuts slice way too deep for forgiving. 
He climbed into the bottle like a wish spinning down a bottomless well. He lost his job, his house, his wife, and his kids. The order of loss depended on just how drunk Harry was when he retold the story. Cheap, dry, white wine. That was Harry's poison. Never any red wine. I figured he didn't much care for the color red anymore. There was too much blood in it. Too much brick. I saw it out there in the water, only I didn't say anything. I wasn't sure if Harry had hooked something or if it was the other way around. Jarvis saw it next and jumped up like a jack-in-the-box on speed. You got something, he shouted. You got something for sure. I see her, Harry said, grinning the kind of grin you'd expect to see in a falling airplane. Then I saw what he'd caught. He had caught a beautiful woman, with hair like a rake of seaweed spinning out behind her and the tail of a dolphin bobbing up where her ass ought to be. A mermaid. Old Harry had gone and caught himself an honest to Odysseus mermaid. Only, there was something about that mermaid I didn't much care for. There was something that ran my blood colder than a deep, frozen refrigerator. Let it go, I quietly said. Only I couldn't make myself heard over Jarvis's yelling. A mermaid! A be-Jesus bikini mermaid! Drag her in, Harry. Drag her on in. I'm dragging it, Jarvis. I'm dragging it hard. She moved in closer. Harry was reeling fast as he could pump his wrist, but not fast enough to make her move as fast as she was going. She wants us, Harry, Jarvis yelled. She, by the Jesus, wants us. Let her go, Harry, I said a little louder. He couldn't hear me or he didn't want to. He kept reeling like his life depended on it. Then I heard the singing, soft and low and far away, like the sound you hear tuned between two radio stations. You can almost make out the words of one song, only there's another being played on top of it, another message coming in beneath the first. As far as I could see, her mouth wasn't moving at all. I wondered what part of her was doing the singing. Let it go, I said. Harry didn't listen. I grabbed the rod from his hands. Harry tried to grab it back, but I moved quicker. I tossed the fishing rod out into the river and hoped the mermaid would swim away. Jarvis yelled in dismay, partly over his lost fishing rod and partly over the lost mermaid. Harry hauled back a sledge-sized fist ready to clout me a fistful of there you go. I knew Harry hit hard, and I was regretting my actions already. I said a prayer to whatever God was listening for something soft to land on. Jarvis kept yelling and pointing. Harry stopped thinking about hitting me just long enough to take a look at what Jarvis was pointing at. That's when it came up out of the water. At first it looked like a big old fishing net. A big old net all long and broad and flattened out like some kind of giant manta. It was coming in for a landing, full speed ahead. 
It looked like the world's broadest and flattest torpedo had aimed itself straight at us. The mermaid, or whatever the hell she was, sat smack dab in the middle of all this. She looked like a woman perched in the middle of the largest bridal gown ever sewn. And then her face began to change. Moving, slow like mud, turning itself into the face of a very young man. The face of Harry Moore's only son. Tommy! Harry yelled, jumping into the water. Harry wore a pair of battered army boots that he bought from Ron's surplus store. Those boots must have been awfully heavy. He sank into the mud of the river bottom like a man sinking into quicksand. The mermaid manta moved around and over Harry, swallowing him whole. Jarvis ran over the other way in a burst of blind panic. I think he was headed back to Cape Breton or at least somewhere where the water was mythological. As for me, I couldn't run. Not while I was seeing Harry trapped inside that mermaid. What could I do? I thought about flypaper, pitcher plants, worms on hooks, and sirens singing out to lonely sailors. I thought about sticking. Then I jumped in after Harry. Come on, damn it, I cursed. If you're hungry, come and eat. The thing wasn't fussy. It grabbed me fast. Harry! I shouted. Only my mouth was full of something that felt a little like warm putty and tasted a lot like dead man's piss. I saw Harry. Ahead of me and inside the thing. And next thing I knew, I was inside with him. I yanked my old clasp knife out of my coat pocket and tried to cut my way free. It was like trying to cut wet fish glue. I pushed in deeper kicking and biting and hollering as best I could, hoping to give the thing a case of terminal indigestion. Harry wasn't kicking. He just let himself be dragged in towards the center of the mermaid that looked so much like his dead son. Harry's face was the color of blood-stained brick. I could see it just as clear as never you mind. In between my kicking and Harry's drifting, we arrived in the middle almost simultaneously. The mermaid smiled at Harry. And then, in a voice that sounded like the Titanic colliding with a half-dozen corrugated tin icebergs, it said, I forgive you, Father. And then she began to eat him. I saw Harry peeling away from himself like an onion being unwound, layer after stinking tear-soaked layer. It must have hurt because he finally started to struggle. I love you, father, the mermaid sang. Harry stopped struggling. I had to do something. I pushed closer, pushing my hand up around my neck, grabbing for what hung there, my mother's crucifix. I hit the mermaid with my fist. I held my clasp knife blade out with the crucifix wound around my knuckles. I tried to remember a prayer while I was at it. I must have remembered the words right. The mermaid's head popped open like a chunk of rotten fruit. The head squealed in agony, like a cassette tape being run too fast. I grabbed Harry and kicked for shore. While I was trying to do that, the thing's face slowly reformed. It became the face of someone I used to know, a half of a hell and a heartbeat ago. And she spoke to me. God damn her long-dead soul from out of the mermaid's manta mouth. She spoke to me. Stay with me, Easter, she said. 
Regrets. There's not a man alive doesn't have one. Stay, she repeated. Do you know I almost stayed there? Knowing all I did, I almost stayed. But I couldn't stay then, and I wouldn't stay now. I turned and I kicked for shore. Yet holding on to Harry was harder than hanging on to a handful of greased eels. He pulled away and dove back towards the mermaid like a mother driving into a fire to save a burning child. I thought of desperation. I thought of destiny. And then I let him go. He was smiling when he went under, smiling like he'd found something that he'd lost a long time ago. He didn't regret his decision one single bit. I crawled back onto the shore. I sat there partly because I was out of breath, partly because something inside me just had to see what a man looked like after you peeled him down to the bone, right down to his last screaming regret. I looked away at the end, but only because it was over. When I looked back, the mermaid was gone. All that remained was Jarvis's old spinning rod washed to the shore. A long length of broken fish line tailing out like a kite string to nowhere. I walked away, not looking back. Some nights when the wind harps long and low over the Halifax harbor, I come back to remember and watch. But I never stay. The end. Oh, man, I love that story. Steve Vernon's Harry's Mermaid. I hope very much that you liked it, because I certainly did. And that should do it for this episode. If you enjoyed your visit today, please tell your friends and have them tell their friends. Be sure to email me at tomreadyourstory@yahoo.com or call... 929-260-1952 if you have questions or comments about the show. As always, thanks, Anchor.fm, for the chance to have an ongoing podcast. I greatly appreciate it. Until next time, stay safe and take care. For more information on Tom's availability for your e-learning, commercial, or audiobook project, visit his website at www.tomzvoices.weebly.com. We hope you visit us again soon for another episode of Tom Reads Your Story.